All right. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, I love that. I tell you, I, I, I love this place already because you like to laugh. So you and I are going to get along, and I know Barry enjoys laughter, and there's nothing more enjoyable than to being around God's people who enjoy getting together. Uh, that's, that's just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And, so, and there's nothing more wonderful for us than to spend time in God's Word. And, and that's, that's, to me, that's fun. I hope that doesn't sound uh, disrespectful, but I enjoy it. I enjoy it, enjoy it greatly. Now, I will have to say this. I did pick up on what Brent had to say. He kept introducing Barry as Barry. He didn't say it's his dad. Uh, he's going to wait and reserve judgment on that. My kids do the same to me. Uh, you know, we'll find out later if that's Jill or Gray's dad. Uh, but but it is it is very 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 much a joy for me uh, to get to hang out with Barry and Teresa as well. Uh, Barry and I both have a great passion for evangelism. Uh, I know Brent does as well in this family in Christ, and so that's that's just super enjoyable when you enjoy the people you get to hang out with. And so thank you so very, very much for the invitation. And let me just go ahead and make a confession right off the bat, if I can. Yes, I do go to Brent's website to steal material. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm, I want to look at, let's see what Brent had to say on this subject. This is great. I'll go read Brent. And so I, I appreciate uh, your preacher so much, and I appreciate y'all. Uh, for your foresight in being able to build a website that can be shared and so we can all grow and learn together. So thank you so much for that. All right, I hope you have the Heavenly Library with you. Let me invite you to take down the Gospel of John and go to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. When you get into John, And like all the Gospels, it tells the story of Jesus. But John writes as one who assumes you've already read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or you know those stories, and you know them very well, and you kind of get the impression John is saying, all right, I'm going to tell you part of the story you may not know. I'm going to write from the perspective truly of one who was on the inside, who was with the Lord. And more importantly, I want to share with you the part of the story that is very intimate. And so really beginning with chapter 12 all the way up to chapter 18, he gives us that great insight in the upper room. He gives us the conversation that Jesus has with the disciples as he's getting ready to make his way to Calvary. And so uh, a lot of it is very intimate. And John will even say, I leaned upon my friend. I leaned upon him and he says, he and I were close. I was the beloved. I was the beloved, you know. But there's something that he tells us Jesus said that is extremely powerful. That I want it to be on your mind as we go through this lesson. We know, because we know the story. That Jesus knew where he was headed and what was going to happen. The disciples are still in a fog, right? Even as he's in the garden and he's crying, they're still like, "Mm, not sure what's happening here. We know our Lord's troubled. But our Lord says this to them. My peace I leave with you. That's a powerful thought. My peace I leave with you. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. 
I've overcome the world. Now that phrase, I'm sure you've heard before, it's like one of those great comforting phrases that you would kind of almost put in calligraphy on your wall. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Here's, here's the irony in that statement. He's going to a lot of trouble. <laughs> and, and, and in a way, in a way, the overcoming hasn't quite happened yet, but he is confident in that hope. And in my trouble, I'm going to help you overcome your trouble. In my challenge, I'm going to show you the pathway to great peace. And this brings us to John 18. And what we find here is a conversation that Jesus has with Pilate. Now, here's what's interesting to me. I'm a former news reporter, all right? How did John get all this information? Uh, this is a conversation between Pilate and, and Jesus himself. You know, clearly the Holy Spirit is at work. Or we see the work of the Holy Spirit and there were others around who heard this conversation and they shared it. But nonetheless, John says, I'm going to take you inside something and I'm going to take you somewhere that nobody else. I'm going to let you in on a conversation like a fly on a wall. And this is amazing because he takes us into the praetorium he takes us into the high office of that day and we hear a conversation between Jesus and Pilate now I'm setting you up and I'm going to come back to that but I need to share you a story before we get in to these stories all of us as preachers have guys that we really look up to. And one guy that I really always looked up to and I just loved to hear him preach and I loved to read his writings was a man by the name of Marty Pickup. He was a professor at the college for many years at Florida College, but he was also a gospel preacher. And, and for me, it's kind of very cool. I'm now at Valrico preaching where he used to preach. But I was invited to come and hold a meeting where Marty was preaching. And that's the greatest amount of intimidation you can ever have as a preacher when you're preaching to other preachers. I hate that. I just hate that. Because I know what other preachers are thinking the whole time. Mm, mm, uh, mm. Now, if I was to do that, mm, you know. And so there I'm having to preach to Marty, but he was so gracious and he was so kind. And, and, and he said to me one evening after the assembly, he said, hey, Phil, would you like to eat lunch the next day? And I'm like, yes, I get to hang out with Marty Pickup. This is so cool. I mean, I was really almost like a cool uh, a school kid, you know, who's meeting the quarterback of the day. I mean, it was like, this is what preachers do. This is a cool deal. So I, Marty came by and picked me up, and, and we jumped in his Camry, and we're riding off to Chili's for lunch. And, you know, and I'm just having a casual conversation. When, Bear, when, when Marty unloads this question on me that just blew my mind. You see, it was an election year. And so, like any small talk conversation, you start talking a little bit of politics. What do you think on this, that, and the other? When Marty all of a sudden said this, he goes, Phil, do you really think... A republic is the best form of government. I went, what? <laughs> now, you got you to understand, this is like kind of an outer body experience where you're like, you know, 
15 billion things go on in your mind and you have like an hour long conversation with yourself, but it's only two seconds, you know? And so I'm like, did Barry just ask me this? Did this guy that I greatly look up, he's questioning a republic? Now, to my credit, and I'll say that, I didn't say what was going on in my mind. I went, Marty, could you please explain? And Marty goes, well, Phil, what if a republic is not the best form of government? What if a monarchy was? What? <laughs> a mon Have you not read your American history, Marty? We ran from King George. That's how we all got started. We don't want a king. We want to make our own decisions. We're a democracy. We are a government of the people. We are free. You're trying to take us back to tyranny? Are you crazy? A uh, king? Can you imagine? We want a king in America. But I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I bit my lip. And I went, Marty, please explain so I don't have to kill you. He goes, what if, what if you had a king who truly had the best interest of the people at heart? What if you had a king whose sole purpose was to do and serve for the people and not himself. What if you had a king like no other king? Wouldn't that be the best form of government? In John chapter 18 and in verse 33, we read this conversation. So Pilate, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and he called Jesus and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, let me just stop right there for a moment, all right? Pilate is not in town because Pilate enjoyed hanging out in Jerusalem. This wasn't exactly his home office, if you will. His office, his main headquarters was up in Caesarea. And the only reason he's in town is because it's the Passover feast. There's going to be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews there. And his role, his role is really a governor of the land, is to make sure peace is maintained in the region for Rome. He serves at the will of Caesar, who is the king of the world in this day. And it's his job to squelch any kind of uprising or any kind of revolt. And the fact of the matter is, he's done it before. And he's called in the army to take out some dude, to take out some rebellion. And so he's in town only to keep peace. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't care for these people. He doesn't care about them at all. He's simply there to keep Rome happy and to keep his office safe. And he's heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. People have been calling him a king. He's the next king. He's the king of the Jews. He's the one that's been prophesied about. He's this great leader. He's heard the stories of the miracles. He's heard the stories about thousands upon thousands upon thousands are following this guy. And then all of a sudden, in a strange matter of circumstance, this Jesus is now before him. And the people that he's supposed to be leading have brought him to Pilate. And Pilate's going, I don't get it. I mean, I thought you were the guys going to have to come and get rid of because the people wanted to follow you. Now they've brought you to me. I don't get it. And so notice again, verse 33. Are you 
the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord or did others say it to you about me? (laughs) Pilate goes, really? Seriously? Am I a Jew? Your own nation, your own chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Man, you must have really ticked these people off because you're supposed to be their king. I've heard all about your king and now they're turning you over. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. I want you to chew on that statement for just a moment because I'm not sure exactly what's going through your mind. i got to confess what I generally thought of when I heard this statement of Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world. I, I, I was thinking, you know what? That's right, that's right. He came down from heaven, so this isn't exactly an earthly kingdom. This is kind of a God thing. So He came down from heaven, and this is a heavenly kingdom, and, and therefore, you know, it's kind of just all up there. And Je- no, no, no. I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Although, although, He certainly is bestowed a heavenly kingdom upon us. I want you to grasp what he says because he answers that thought in the next statement. If my kingdom was like other kingdoms, if my kingdom was set up like other kingdoms are set up, if my throne was established how most politicians, how most leaders get their authority, then my people would be fighting. My people would be up in arms. I would have built an army. But I want you to know that's not how my kingdom is established. If you think back just a few hours earlier, what did Peter want to do? Remember he and others carried a sword out with them and then here comes that mob to arrest Jesus and Peter goes, I'll fight for you. And let's just be honest, Peter's not a good swordsman. He got an ear. It had to be quite the moment. We can kind of debate exactly how that happened. It was Malchus ducking, but nonetheless, Jesus is like, whoa, 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 stop, 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 no fighting. And he heals Malchus. A few hours before that, in fact, when he rides into town on Sunday, how did he ride in like a conquering king who has come to? No, he rode in in a very humble way. Most kings would ride in with chariots, right? They'd be on the biggest animal possible. They'd be dressed in the fancy robes. An army would be marching in front of them. Not Jesus, not Jesus. He's sitting on a donkey. And does he go straight into the city and bang on Pilate's door and say, Get off my throne. I've come to a step. No, he, he goes to the temple to pray. Is he dressed like a king? No, he's probably wearing the common garments of everyday men. Maybe the fashion of a carpenter. And go back maybe a year earlier. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? You remember what the people immediately wanted to do? You mean we got a guy who can feed thousands with a prayer? And it's good food. And we got a guy who can heal people with a touch. Can you imagine? Can you imagine 
what kind of army he could build. Can you imagine what kind of domain he could establish? Well, let's make him king. It's John 6. Jesus caught wind of it and he immediately said, all right, James, John, Peter, Andrew, in the boats, get out of here. And he runs off to the mountain. Because my kingdom, my kingdom is not established like other kingdoms. Now, here's the deal, folks. We struggle with this. We can look back in Christian history. Think back to the Crusades. Well, that's an interesting time, isn't it? Where men in the name of Jesus are going to go reclaim the Holy Land and we're going to do it by killing people? What? And then you think back to the history of the Inquisition. Where the church is exerting its power and its dominion. Where you don't do what we tell you to do. We're going to have to kill you. Oh boy, that's great. Jesus said, no, no, no. Let's make it a little more practical to us. Okay, forgive me. This is going to step on our toes. I'm just giving you a little heads up. We think politics is our Savior. Be honest with yourself. We all get in a huff and we all get crazy about it. And I get it. I get it. I get it. We're in a democracy. I want us to vote. And I really like it when somebody is leading our land and they think like I do. In fact, I love it when anybody thinks like I do. Even in my own house. You think like me, we're going to get along. This is great. My wife doesn't always see it that way. But Jesus is saying, I don't need votes. I'm not looking to win polls. I'm not looking for earthly influence. I don't need my people in positions of authority to make my kingdom flourish. Let that sink in. Because my kingdom is not of this world. Now, what does immediately Pilate think when he hears that? He goes, what? Notice the next phrase. You would say the exact same thing. So Pilate said to him, so you're a king? (laughs) You're a king? You don't fight. You don't politic. You don't force. You don't push. So you're a king? Yeah, says Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. I am a king. Notice Jesus goes on and says this. He says, so you're a king? He goes, you're right. You say that I'm a king. Yep, I am a king. But listen to this. For this purpose, for this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world. And I've come into the world to bear witness to what is true. And everyone, please, if you like to underline in your Bible, underline this phrase. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is true? I want you to grasp what Jesus is saying here. I I am a king. I am a king. And my kingdom is established like no other kingdom established. But I want you to grasp this. My people. 
are just as different. I don't have to force them. I don't have to twist their arm. I don't have to make them. They listen to my voice. Paul, I know how you get your power. You strong arm people, right? You got to have an army come in. You got to have some sort of a regulation passed and law passed. You got to have some. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that at all. Think back to Jesus' sermons. Are you ready? All right. What was his very first sermon? Anybody remember Jesus' very first sermon? Here's what's cool as preachers. He got it from somebody else. That's true. John was preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was Jesus' first sermon? Hey, John, that's a pretty good sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. He preached repentance. And people went, okay. Okay. Uh, Turn, if you would, to the Sermon on the Mount. You'll love this. You'll love this. I know you've read this before, but I want you to read it in the context of this unusual king. All right? Uh, Have y'all noticed, anybody seen any political ads on TV lately? (laughs) (laughs) Almost makes you not want to watch TV, right? You know? Every single one of them is, I'm the greatest leader of the world. I'll give you food. I'll give you power. Look at what I've done for you. And my opponent is a scoundrel. In fact, he bites off the heads of puppies and spits them in the ocean. That's how mean he is. It's like, really? Really? Right? Right? This is Jesus' platform. Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor. In spirit. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're going to be my leader, you're supposed to lower my taxes. You're supposed to increase my wages. You're supposed to make my life a little... No. I want you to be poor. I want you to crouch like a beggar. Blessed are those who are hungry. Are you kidding me? Have you seen what it, what it costs to go to Publix these days? You're supposed to be lowering. No, no, I want you to be hungry. And I want you to hunger for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. What? This is your political platform? This is the best you can come up with? But here's the deal. His followers went, yes, I get it. In fact, his word will sink deep into their hearts and it will flourish so much so that they'll take the cares of the world and they'll pluck them out of their lives like they're plucking out weeds. And this is where it really gets crazy. Go to Matthew 6. Listen to this. Don't, this is verse 19. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I'm sorry, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Let me say this right, all right? Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust decay. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In fact, the king is saying, I'm not really that concerned whether you've got money or not. But I want you to have an eternal inheritance about your life. And notice verse 33. Don't worry like the world worries. Don't worry like the world worries about politics. Don't worry like the world worries about food and clothing. Don't worry. No, 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 no. 
Seek first the kingdom of God, and I got you. I got you. Now, folks, we got to think about this. Because this is an unusual kingdom. And our king actually warns us about prosperity on this earth. Our king actually warns us about wanting things like the world wants things. In fact, he wants us to be more focused on the hearts of others and bringing others to his kingdom than we are to make our life in this world more comfortable. But yet in all that, this is what's crazy. He still claims to be the king. And his kingdom is not restricted by borders on a map. You can go to any map and you can see where a kingdom begins, where it ends. You can look at the lines. Jesus says, I have no limits to my kingdom. My kingdom is not limited by borders. It's not limited by a race. It's not limited by economics. It's not limited by a time period. My kingdom thrives wherever my people are, wherever they are listening to my voice, in no matter what home it is, no matter what country it is, no matter what time it is, no matter race or tribe or people, my kingdom lives in the hearts of my people. And I don't look at them as subjects. Isn't it interesting how Jesus will assert his kingship, but he never once refers to his people as subjects. Paul will say they're the beloved. Peter will say they're living stones. They're saints. They're citizens of a greater kingdom. And Jesus will look at the room in which all of his disciples are packed into, and he'll say with affection, these are my family, my mother, my brother, my sisters. Because his kingship is like no other. Now here's the bigger question. Why would anybody submit to that? Why would anyone go, okay, That sounds great. Pilate's certainly scratching his head. Go back to our text. Go back to the text and and listen to what he says. And, And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he said, I find no guilt in him. In fact, here's what I got to say. The dude's crazy. I don't know why anybody would want to follow him. He's no threat to me. Trust me. He's no threat to me. He's made that clear. He's he's fine with me being on the throne. In fact, he's not going to force me out. He's not raising an army. And I got to tell you, folks, he's not that threat to you. Who of you is he hurt? Who of you is he forced to the ground? Who of you is he strong-armed? I find no guilt in him. Why? Would anyone want to submit to a king like this? I don't get it. I don't get it. Now, you remember Marty's point? What if? What if you had a king like no other king? What if 
You had a king who truly had the people's best interest at heart. And Pilate said, follow along with me. I find no guilt in him. Because there was no guilt. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Let me release this guy. Let me release the king of the Jews. I got to tell you, folks, I think he's a little loopy. He thinks he's the king, but it's different. It's weird. It's challenging. He's no threat to anybody. I really don't want to do this. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out, no, no. We want you to release Barabbas. Now, here's what you got to know about Barabbas. John knew the people of this day knew about Barabbas. We don't exactly get Barabbas. Barabbas was the kind of guy that people love to follow because he's a man of action. And he's like many politicians today. All right? And let's be honest with ourselves. I know, I know, I know, I know this guy's a scoundrel, but he's my scoundrel. <laughs> right? I know, I know, I know this guy. I would never let him babysit my children. I would never let him be. I mean, anything more like, but you know, he's, he's, he's not as evil as you're. He's my evil guy. Barabbas is a robber. He's a murderer. But he's our murderer. Because he was trying to defend Jewish rights. And that's important. So you give us him. Chapter 19. Now remember who's telling this story. It's a dear, dear friend of Jesus. It's somebody who listened to his voice. And Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Can I, can I share something with you real quick? This is so important. Anybody do a daily Bible reading? That's so great. Can I tell you one of the challenges with a daily Bible reading? I love it. I'm not just I'm not saying it's bad. But we don't let it soak in sometimes. A flogging was a vicious punishment. I'm not going to gross you out. But John just said they flogged him. That was a 30 to 45 minute ordeal. Where a man is stripped of all his clothing. Stretched out on a post. And beaten with whips. Close to death. They did that to Jesus. And then the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. They arrayed him in a purple robe and they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they struck him with their fist. It's part of the story sometimes we forget. Ever been punched in the face? If you had an older brother or younger brother, you probably had one of those moments. Our Lord is repeatedly punched in the face after a flogging. And Pilate went out again and he said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you. I find no guilt in him. 
So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, the purple robe, and Pilate said to him, Behold the man. Is Pilate trying to make a point there? I I don't know why everybody's in such an uproar. He's just a man. Look what I just did doing with all my power. He's bleeding from head to toe. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, it's not enough. It's not enough. Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Well, you take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, Well, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. <laughs> when Pilate heard that statement, he was even more afraid. You're a God? He entered his headquarters again and he said to Jesus, where where are you from? Where are you from? You're a God? And Jesus would give him no answer. So Pilate said to him, do you not understand what's happening here? Do you not understand that I have the authority? You won't speak to me. Don't you know I have the authority to release you? I have the authority to crucify you. And Jesus said, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. I don't know what you see when you see this picture. Can you see Jesus? Can you see? In the eyes of man, he's weak. God is bleeding. God is being mocked with a crown of thorns. God is being laughed at with a purple robe. God is being brought to his knees. And we think, you can't get any weaker than that. This is the same man who fed thousands with a prayer. This is the same man who healed eyes with simply the spit from his lips. This is the same man who would calm seas by just saying peace. This is the same man who could touch a coffin and the dead would rise up. I submit to you, this moment was his most powerful moment. This moment is your king and my king standing up to overcome the world. Let me share it to you in a way that I think you'll get. Anybody here heard of COVID? It's been a pain. Can we just say that? And, 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 and when it all began and the hysteria started and the death started and the virus was spreading, do you remember that fear? Do you remember that anxiety? Do you remember that frustration? And what does every leader who stands before us say? I can solve this problem. I'm going to get a lot of money and I'm going to get a cure. Or I'm going to stand up and I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to do this and I'm going to eradicate it this way and I'm going to come do it in manly ways. Right? 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 And we want the guy who does it our way. Okay, right? Maybe hypothetical for just a moment. What if a leader had stood up and said, I've got the solution. 
I've got a way to take all the virus and bring every single vicious cell into one place, wherever it is, anywhere in the world. And I'm going to bring it all together and I'm going to put it in me. So it doesn't hurt you. And it's going to kill me. But if you'll make me your king, that's exactly what I'll do for you. Because I'm not looking for dominion. I'm not looking for power in man's sense. I'm here to do it for you. Because I love you. Hypothetical, right? Anybody know where I'm going with this? I'm going to take all your sin. I have the power to do it. You've seen my power in other ways, right? And I'm not just going to take away your sin. Here's what I'm going to take away. Your guilt. Your shame. Your anxiety. My peace I give to you. In this world, yeah, you're going to have trouble. But you take heart. You take heart. I've overcome this world. I don't know if you barely let it sink in. But Jesus said to Pilate, I'm going to let you do it. And don't think your power is because you have big muscles or you have great authority. No. I'm going to let you do it. Because I'm a different kind of king. In fact, Jesus would tell his disciples, for the Son of Man, the true king, hasn't come to be served. That's what kings do. They come to be served, not me. I've come to serve. I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. Isaiah would prophesy it this way. Surely he took upon our pain. He bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us Peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You know what's interesting about all that? Did you know how this story plays out? This is crazy. Did the Jews like Caesar? They hated Caesar. They were just like you and me when it comes to whoever's leading. Oh, I can't stand them. Oh, they're controlling me. Oh, they're, I mean, they are just like us. Hate that guy. But you know what? They hated Jesus more. Isn't that crazy? 
In fact, you read on in the story and the chief priest will finally get Pilate to do what he doesn't want to do because they say to Pilate, if you don't crucify Jesus, we're telling on you and you're not Caesar's friend. Long live Caesar. Crazy, isn't it? Crazy. I'll tell you what, folks. It's no more crazy today when we put our faith in men and not in the true king. It's no more crazy today when we get caught up in all these worldly anxieties instead of recognizing we have a king like no other. Marty threw me for a loop that day. What if we had a king? What if we had a king? Wouldn't that be the best form of government there is? If he's a king like that. And you know what? That's what we got. That's what we got. You have a king who truly, truly has your best interest at heart. My peace I give to you. In this world, you will have trouble. It's a troubled world. But you take heart. I've overcome the world. Thank you all so very much for your kind attention.